To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 46, man. We back in the building, man. Each and every Tuesday, right back down here at 10 a.m. YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, you name it, we doing it. Wherever you get your podcast from, we are live, we are direct. Uh, search Lockdown Divas Sports in your search engines, it'll come up for you. Any platform that you want to stream before me, available to you. I appreciate everybody's support and everybody's love and everybody's uh, admiration that's been uh, giving us uh, shout-outs each and every week. Had a good-spirited conversation and hilarious episode with Coach Kurt on Saturday, man. The replay for that is on YouTube as well. Check it out. Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt each and every Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to Twitch.tv or slash Lockdown David Sports. Uh, we're going to take a break this week, just a quick point of order. We'll take a quick break this week for the holiday, but we'll be right back uh, the very next Saturday each and every Saturday bringing y'all that heavy-hitting Hilarious content, man. So check us out. All we got a lot to go through today, man. It's going to be a good show. Uh, we're going to go through some things for the NBA, of course. We're going to give our uh, recap of the conference final games uh, from Tuesday to Monday. We'll talk about those and my takes takeaways from those games. I'll give my up-to-minute reactions and my takeaways from the series as a whole and where it is heading and who I feel like is going to be the favorite going into the finals. Uh, we're going to talk about these coaching hires. Uh, there's been uh, several coaches hired in the past week. And we'll talk about exactly what we think they're going to do and how, uh, whether or not they're a good fit for the organization as well. There's also been some slander given to certain black coaches in uh, in this in the media here lately, and I want to talk about that, address that briefly. Uh, we'll also talk about Dame Lillard. Uh, he potentially wants out uh, from the Blazers, uh, so we'll see how that shakes out and feel like where he might land if he does get traded. Uh, then we do a player spotlight. We'll talk about a few players that were uh, shining this week, uh, Tuesday through Monday. We'll give out uh, some uh, notable uh, names, some, some familiar names. We'll go through that. Then I want to shift the gears a little bit. I want to talk about the Olympics. Um, I do want to talk about the NBA roster in regards to who made the Olympic team and who's going to play for the Olympic team this uh, summer, uh, who opted out and who's not playing, who maybe got snubbed. We'll talk about that. Um, then I'll give my overall takeaways on the Olympics as a whole. Uh, I, I There's a lot of things happening with the IOC. That's the commission for the Olympics and um, the games as a whole. So I want to talk about that in a, in a slight uh, for the record, but I won't call it for the record, but it'll be a, 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 that type of segment, so stay tuned for that. Then I'm going to bring back some love for my teams, man. I want to uh, give a quick uh, uh, Chargers corner. I'm going to give an all-season recap, um, recap everything we did in all-season, and then do my wish list for the upcoming season, what I want for the Chargers to do and accomplish in this upcoming season. Then we'll move over to the Lakers locker room. We'll do the same thing for the Lakers. We'll recap the season. And I was just giving my wish list about what I want for the upcoming season, what I want them to do in the offseason and coming into the next season so we can get back and compete. Then we'll wrap up with a four-quarter closeout. We'll give out awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, Big Dummy of the Week. We even got a Black Excellence of the Week, so let's uh, stay tuned for that, man. So let's get into who's in the news, man. Let's get it. Let's talk who's in the news. In a season, year, and... Just a pandemic-riddled lifestyle that we've been under in the past year and a half. It's a lot of unexpectedness has happened in, in everybody's lives, and that has not uh, been lost on the NBA. That's all I can really say. It really has. Uh, I'm sure nobody predicted what's happening in the NBA playoffs right now. You have the Hawks and the Bucks duking it out in the conference finals in the East. In the West, you have the Clippers and the Suns. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, listen, no betting man, unless you're just foolish and want to throw money away, you know, in, in its own right, was, was thinking that this was going to be the conference finals. But here we are. Here we are. Injuries have played a part in this. Uh, 
the fatigue factor. There's a lot of things have bro broken right for these teams to be here. You know, some people may had the Bucks as a slight favorite of Clippers, maybe, eh, maybe, but you know, I, I don't think anybody really gave them a real chance. But we here now, so really you can say we're here now. And I was, I must say, although it wasn't anything that anybody predicted, it's been really entertaining. It's been really good for the NBA. The NBA has gotten really good basketball out of these teams. And it's it's, it's nail-biting. It's gut-wrenching if you're fans of these teams. But it's been really good TV. Like, it's not, it hasn't been a game that i watched in the past several weeks that I've been like, it's been boring snoo fest. I want to turn the channel. It hasn't been that way. But I, so the silver lining in that is that, you know, although, like I said, it was – you know, certain things broke right for these teams to be here. It's been really good television, really good basketball. I have to say it. So as we go through these uh, games through uh, the past week, Tuesday through Monday, we're dealing with one game a week now because we're in the conference uh, title game, so you only got one game on each side. But uh, well, let's start with this Tuesday night. We'll start with the Clippers and Suns. And much as I alluded to about it being bomb burner, you know, nail-biting, gut-wrenching, this game was not lost on that either. I tell you, the Clippers were Suns. On Tuesday night, man, oh man! I mean, it literally had the edge on the edge on the edge of the seat the whole night. It was it was it was an amazing game, amazing game. Now, I call this game the game of the unsung heroes because Chris Paul was still out with COVID protocol, and campaign was going to be the starting point guard, and he filled in quite nicely. Cam poured in twenty nine points, no turnovers, nine assists. <laughs> Cam Johnson came off the bench with eleven. DeAndre Ayton was 12 of 15 from the field with 24 points. And not only did he have 24 points, but that 24 point came at the end of the game <laughs> with Jay Crowder lobbing a ball to him with, want to say, 0.9 seconds left and him dunking the basketball for the win. 104-103. The Suns take a 2-0 lead. Now, I, I will say this. Now, it wasn't without controversy, but... There's a question of calls and, and charges and turnovers, you know, where Beverly clearly knocked the ball out of out of uh, Devin Booker's hands, but they gave it to the Clippers. And But the Suns didn't let it turn them. They took it to a lead back, and they're going to L.A. up 2-0, and they expect to get Chris Paul back for game three. No word of Kawhi Leonard at this point, but uh, it, I'm, I, I bet, man, I wouldn't bet him on playing at all in this series. They're just not saying. Um, but a notable point for the Clippers is that the Paul George missed two free throws down the stretch that could have maybe iced the game. So I'm sure he's going to get a lot of backlash in regards to that, but because uh, I think that's the second time he's missed uh, free throws in clutch moments that could have put his game away for his team and made it. Now it's making it much harder for him to fight because they're down 2-0. So now going over to Wednesday, now we're at the Hawks versus Bucks. Now this is this is game one of this series. And the Bucks game one injury is a bit lackluster. Now, I, I spoke about this in, in length in, in sports talking, and, and I think my podcast last week that they always seem to sleepwalk through the first game. They they were sleep against Miami the first game, although they managed to pull that out. They slept walk through the Nets first game, first two games actually got beat bad, and then they they were sleepwalking again for game one. It's like they need a moment to get themselves together, and kind of fill you out, you know, before they can start to really make their mark and, and put their stamp on a game. And <laughs> Trey Young took full advantage. He took full advantage. He got to go on early and often. He turned in 48 points. And 
And what upset me barely about this game, and I was talking about this at length as well, is Budenholzer does not make in-game adjustments. Like, he literally has a script that he got a game plan that he's going to run, and that's just what he does in the entirety of the game. He doesn't change. They were Trey Young was killing them on the pick and roll, pick and pops, you know, just pick and dives. I mean, you name it, you know, pin downs. I mean, anything. Anything he wanted to do, he was doing it. To the two to 48 points. I mean, come on. That is the highest amongst the first, uh, your first time participant in the conference final game ever. So he set records with his performance against a really good defensive team. So that tells me right off that, like I said, he didn't, Budenholz didn't want to adjust to what he was doing on the fly at all. Like he just going to go back and look at the film and change for game two. I just don't think that's a good philosophy when it comes down to trying to win titles. I just don't. I've never seen that being done at any clip and it worked. And he, if he does make it work, it'd be the first. Yet again, this remains to be seen. But, but despite all that, the Hawks only won the game by three points, 116 to 113. So I don't know if that's a silver lining for the Bucks, but overall, like I said, they really were asleep through it most of this game, and they kind of pushed, pushed it to the brink towards the end, but they just couldn't get over the hump. John Collins had a double-double, 23 and 15. Uh, Herder had another good start. He gave him 13. Giannis had his normal 34, but it wasn't enough. I mean, he shot surprisingly well from the free throw line, which is ironic. But again, Bucks had to pick it up. Well, or they literally could have, in my opinion, be down 2 0 from being at home. And again, that's just indicative of how he doesn't make in game adjustments. Now, we'll talk about game two in a minute and we'll see how they come out differently. But that game, again, it, it was very upsetting from a coaching perspective because I'm like, you have to adjust on the fly and that'll just make kill you for 48. You just can't let him do it. But think about it, if you limit him a couple baskets, you win the game because you only lost by three. I mean, come on. You could literally be up 1-0 in the series and holding home court. But it is what it is. So moving on to Thursday, the Clippers and the Suns, and this, this, this scene has shifted to L.A. Now, the Clippers played much better at home in this one. Chris Paul came back, uh, returned from protocol. Now, now we didn't know that now there was going to be a boost or not, but um, it notable no, notable for the Suns that Devin Booker had broke his nose, done by Patrick Beverly. Yeah, you know, but at this point, I don't know. I don't. I had. There's no love lost for me for Patrick Beverly. I don't. I don't care for that dude at all. Uh, honestly and truly, I really think he's a dirty player. I just don't think you know. I mean, and it's, honestly and truly, I just it, listen. If I was on the team, I was in the NBA, or I was playing against this dude, you have to see me. Like that's 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 just. That's how I feel about him, the type of dude he is. That's just my personal thing. But regardless of that fact, like I said, he broke Devin Booker broke his nose in three places, had to wear a mask. So, um, yet again, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was a little bit different. You know, like I said, the, the Clippers played a little bit better in on the road. On you know, didn't play, they played a little better better at home than they did on the road. Obviously, you know, being down soil. Uh, Paul George led the game with 27 points, um, although he didn't shoot terribly great. Um, the Clippers, you know, they frustrated the Suns and went and to me, you know, on off on defense, and that was to me was a difference maker. Um, their, their, their spark plug and campaign went down with an ankle injury early on in this game, so I feel like that pretty much turned the tide. Um, I think Reggie Jackson with another, he had another stellar offensive performance, coupled with some timely threes by Patrick Beverly, really was the ultimate. Uh, Catalyst that boosted the Clippers to a 106-192 victory in this one, and then now the series is 2-1. So, yeah, like I said, they came home, and they did what they had to do with Game 3 at home, uh, and we'll see how Game 4 shakes out. 
But yet again, I mean, Paul George was uh, the lead man. Uh, campaign went down. CB3 returned. Never really had a good game. Devin Booker tried to adjust to this mask. Didn't shoot really well. And Reggie Jackson had another good, good stellar performance, man. You got to give Reggie Jackson credit, man. No matter how you feel about the guy, he's been really good offensively for the Clippers, especially with Quiet Leonard being gone. Imagine Quiet being there and he'd been pouring this type of effort in. They've really been in a really good spot. But he's been filling in masterfully for Kawhi Leonard, I think, offensively at least. So you got to give him man credit. He's been putting in really big numbers uh, helping his team win. So then let's move over to Friday. The Hawks and Bucks go back at it again. And this particular game was a complete and total staunch difference from game one. Like I said, the Bucks sleepwalk through the first game somehow, some way. And then you come back and you, you build back and you uh, come to play on game two. And they did a really good so- and a really good solid and, and decent adjustment. And I said to Boonholder would do this is that they came in and they decided to focus on Trey Young in this game. Uh, you know, between, you know, Giannis, Middleton, and Drew, Lopez, you know, they all scored double figures. This game got a hand, got a hand early and often. They were down, the Hawks were down about 50 in this game at one point. It was the 50 in this game, and it wasn't close. I mean, there's not much you can say. And then the Bucks came out, they blitzed them early, and they didn't let off the gas until the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. They ended up winning the game 125-91, tied in the series of 1-1. Like I said, I mean, it, it's pretty much, you know, Trey didn't shoot well at all from the field. And uh, the the Bucks, everybody who does, that's a player and also a minded person in the Bucks scored, <laughs> you know, and the Hawks just have an answer, you know, just didn't have an answer. So, again, it was a total, complete, you know, brow beating in this game. You know, again, this, it was over by the third quarter. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It was. So, yeah. That was pretty much that. So the series tied one one there. Go to Atlanta for game three. So now we'll move over to Saturday. Saturday was a wild game. Now, mind you, I was shooting sports over coach credit at the time. And again, if you haven't checked that out by now, check it out. Hilarious episode. Hilarious episode. Really good episode. Uh it's on YouTube. You replay is on YouTube now. But uh this game was quite interesting. Um, you know, we had to get off the line in the fourth quarter. We watched the fourth quarter, and it was it was a struggle bus game. I mean, it really was for both teams. Like, it was literally the struggle bus game. I mean, it. the Suns got out to a 20-9 to lead. It never actually gave up the lead, but it was really ugly in the second half. Like, like the Clippers managed to cut it close to about one in the second half, but it didn't shoot well the entire game. Like, there was a lot of defense being played in the second half on both sides. Like, I want to say it was like a, 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 a series low or a team low in the second, in the fourth quarter, in the second half, where they didn't, they scored, a, uh, I want to say, you know, it was like eight, up, it was like only like eight points up until like the late in the fourth quarter for the Clippers, especially. It was bad. It really was bad. Uh, I mean, but the Suns managed to hold on with some clutch free throws by Chris Paul late in the game. Uh, Booker got back, got back on track, but fouled out late in the fourth quarter. So the Suns had, a, had to hold on. You know, Clippers had a chance. You know, when Booker fouled out to to try to uh, steal a game, but the Suns uh, hold on. Um, like I said, they Chris Paul hit some clutch free throws late, and uh, they end up winning the game eighty four to eighty. So they take a three one lead. It's still a game in L A, and uh, they go back to Phoenix for game five. You know, and will they close it out? You know, as Daffo mentioned, Booker had twenty five. Aiden chimed in. 
with twenty nine with a with a nineteen points and twenty two rebounds, not being offensive. So Aiden had a good game. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh that was pretty much it. Like I mean, that game was a little bit ugly from an offense perspective, you know, especially had they had they been playing the first two games, you know, first three games actually, you know, it'd be a lot of offense, and this was not it. Like the Suns struggled, and so did the Clippers. But the Suns were just that much; they were just just a little bit less on the bad end than the Clippers were in that game. So they were able to prevail, get the ball in Chris Paul's hands late in the fourth quarter, allow him to get fouled and go to free throw line, knock down those jumpers, and game over. Suns up three one. So we'll see how Monday shakes out, whether they can close out or not. So moving over to Sunday. Now this series takes a turn into Atlanta as the the, the Hawks host their first uh, conference title game in, in quite some time. Uh, so the Bucks come in, and the Hawks jumped out early on them. You know, they, they fueled off the home crowd, and they jumped out of them early. But I was saying to myself as I was watching the game that if the Bucks can weather the storm and they and, and you kind of cool off, it's kind of like when somebody tries to, you know, punch you to death, you know, early in the match. If you can just weather his punches, allow him to get tired, and you're in the match, right? And you're in the match. And the same thing with the Bucks did. They literally waited. They waited for the Hawks to punch themselves out. And that's it ultimately what happened because uh, they weathered the storm. They kept it close uh, in the first half. And in the third quarter, they, they, they cut into the lead even further. And in the fourth quarter, Giannis and Middleton took over. And next thing you know, it's a total and complete flip of the game. It really is. Uh, Middleton had 38 points and 11 boards. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Giannis had, he had 38 and 11. Giannis had 33 and 11. I, they both had 30 something and 11. That's what threw me off. But Giannis had 33 and 11. Middleton had 38 and 11. The Bucks trailed for most of this game, but they did. Like I said, they, they ended up turning around. And right on cue, Trey Young turns his ankle on the referee's foot and slowed the pace down enough for the Bucks to end up taking the lead. And that's ultimately what they did. And I will say this, this is a quick point of order for this particular as you say, moment. I would say that this was the first time that I can give the Bucks credit for being uh, a team to seize the moment. Because I've been saying that they've been getting a lot of breaks, a lot of breaks. I mean, they've been getting every break possible. It's almost like a rich kid keep getting bailed out of jail. Like, keep, keep, he keep paying to get him out of jail. But, you know, he keeps going back and doing stupid stuff. But this particular situation, they seized the moment. The Trey Young got hurt, and that's when they decided to finally bring themselves over the hump and take the lead. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. They didn't squander the opportunity after being down most of the game. And it was, to me, it was a, it was a game that they really needed to get, you know, based upon what the circumstance and they did it. And Chris Middleton was masterful in this game. He shot really well. Uh, after struggling in game, uh, I want to say one, maybe slash two. So yeah, he brought it back and he scored th- a team high 38. I said 33 in the victory. They win 113 to 102. The Bucks are now up 2-1. Um, so I would say for the Hawks' perspective now, Trey Young is likely to be hobbled or tender with that ankle. Um, he's getting treatment on it. He's, he's questionable to play. I believe he will play. But how would that affect um, the Hawks' offense? Because I really feel like they're really Trey Young dependent and running their offense through him a lot. So I think that that's going to play big. Um, and yet again, the, the Bucks will need to do this again. When I re- 
spoke about them seizing a the moment. If they really want to take control of this series, they need to win this game, especially if Trey Young is not 100%. And to me, it's a must win for the Hawks because if you go down 3-1 and go back to Milwaukee, it's going to be rough to try to come back in the series. So I think they, it's a must-win game for the Hawks. But again, Trey Young is maybe limited. We'll see come game time how he really feels and if he's if, is he himself. But overall, if they can't get 100% Trey Young and the Bucks can play well again in this game, they can literally take control of the series and go up 3-1 and go back to Milwaukee up 3-1. So we'll see what happens Tuesday. Um, Yeah, well, tonight, you know, however you want to call it. Regardless, tonight, Tuesday, whatever. So now, and we move over to Monday night, the Clippers and the Suns go back at it. Back in Phoenix, uh, the, the Suns are up 3-1 of commanding lead. All they got to do is close this game out. But Paul George wasn't having it. I got to give Paul George credit. Like, I was a little bit worried and figured they might be going home because Paul George kind of came out a little bit subtle in the very first part of the game. Uh, although the Clippers got out to a good, decent lead, he wasn't really taking control and taking charge as the leader, right? Um, but you got some unsung hero, her heroic play from, uh, <laughs> it's crazy to be said is from, uh, not only Marcus Morris, but you also got it from Boogie Cousins. They, they started scoring, uh, at a high clip early. They got them out to the lead and then Paul Jones turned it on in the second quarter on, he turned it on hitting big shot at the big shot. Every time the Suns try to get close. It even took the lead briefly in the set in the third quarter. I think they took the lead 62 to 61. Paul George answered the bell every time and watered off elimination in Phoenix. He had 41 points and I want to say 13 rebounds, another double double, uh, 41 and 13. So he just wasn't ready to go home. I mean, that's just this is it, it that's just what it is. He wasn't ready to go home. Now, I will say that, that Marcus Morris and DeMarcus Cousins' performances were a little bit of outliers. Rich Jackson had another good game offensively. We talked about him earlier. He had another good game offensively, so he picked up a slack for Kawhi being out again, and he's still out. Um, no timetable for his return, but um, they fo they forced the game six back in L.A. So this particular situation um, feels a little bit like the Jazz series, where I just didn't I just knew that they were not going to win in, in Utah. I just knew that the Clippers weren't going to win in Utah, and they pulled a vic victory out unsuspectedly. Um, had a really good game plan to get, go into Jazz, and that's and they implemented, it, and that's what they did, and they were able to pull a game out and go back to L.A. and close it out. Now, now they can't close it out obviously in L.A. this time, and they will have to tie it to go to Game Seven to come back to Phoenix. But it seems like they are building their confidence. So, can L.A. be? Uh, can they shock the world one more time? Let's just be real. I mean, I heard uh, I'm gonna say Mike Breen, but somebody call them the Comeback Clippers. Can they shock the world one more time? We will see. Um, like I said, I can't guarantee that Marcus Morris and Marcus Cousins are going to have double digits again um, off the bench and, and in reserve roles. But Paul George, 41 point double double, turned the scene back to LA for game six. So is anybody serious, to be honest? I mean, you, you just hold home court and it's anybody's ballgame in game seven. And the lack of experience in both teams, it really, really boiled down who plays better, who wants it more. You know, because Chris Paul has been here a little bit, but he's squandered the 3-1 lead, too. I don't want to jinx it. Knock on wood. But, you know, I just hope that, you know, the Phoenix can, you know, handle business. But, again, if they lose again in L.A., it's anybody's ballgame. There's no favorites to me. It's just whoever plays better in Game 7, no matter where you play, Phoenix or L.A. So, we'll see how things shake, man. We'll see how things shake. But I really feel like that it's serious. 
kind of feels like it's leaning. Suns need to go ahead and close the door because it's cracked right now, and the Suns don't close it and let the Clippers kick it in. They might be here to stay. I'm just saying. But that's going to wrap up uh, the <laughs> the NBA uh, playoff coverage. So let's talk about some uh, coaching changes. <laughs> There's uh, definitely been some uh, coaching uh, moves um, in the coaching carousel. You know, I guess you could say the revolving door there is coaching carousel. So um, Rick Carlisle got hired. Uh, he resigned from the Mavs, obviously. And, he, and within a week's time, he got hired by the Pacers for his second stint there. Uh, Chauncey Billups was hired uh, as the Blazers coach here recently. Uh, so Dame Lillard has a new coach. Uh, and Mickey Oduku, Oduku is the Celtics' new head coach, hired by Brad Stevens in his first official act as GM. And then Jason Kidd uh, got uh, a head coaching job with the Mavs, leaving the Lakers' assistant role and uh, going to the Mavs. So uh, before I get into what I feel about each particular coaching hire, let's call it, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't address the uh, issues in the media when it came down to uh, – Chauncey Billups hire and uh, Jason Kidd's hire. Now, ironic enough, they didn't really give Emi Udoku a lot of slander, right? Uh, of course, he's an African-American man. But uh, I didn't see the level of vitriol given to him more so than I saw with Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd. Now, now Chauncey Billups had a little bit of a checkered past when he was younger. He had a... a an allegation that was brought upon him, I think it was sexual misconduct, that was ultimately thrown out. Like, he was never charged with it. He never found guilty of anything, but it was a, a publicized court case. And of course, the moment he gets hired, everybody wants to bring that up and, and get in Dame Lillard's mentions and talk about this is your guy and all this kind of stuff and, you know, is this your king means and all this type of crap, you know, talking about how, you know, how can you, you know, be... Uh, okay with him choosing this or, or advocating for this to be your coach. And he got these, all these checkered, you know, or shaky past uh, transgressions, right? Then they get on Jason Kidd. And they say, you know, he had, which is honestly, truly documented. He actually had a, a criminal, he has a criminal history, um, a brief history. Like it wasn't, it was one incident. I'm not going to sit here and act like he had, you know, multiple incident, incidents. Or anything like that. They had one incident that's documented. You know, I'm not going to really get into it um, because I'm not here for that. I'm not here for. I'm not here to 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 add on to the add on to or pile on with the incident. I'm not here for that. But I'm just here to let you know that's what that's what he had. Um, but this is my problem with with the media um as a whole is that yes, I'm in a media space, but I'm not in the in the space where I do things to tear people down in every waking moment and. To start with this particular problem I have is that it always seems to be okay. And this, this, this is pointing to the NFL as well, um, as well as the NBA. It's always okay for an African-American man to be an assistant, but never the head coach. And the moment he becomes the head coach, it's a smear campaign. Every time. Like I said, the NBA is a little bit different for some reason. 
you know, but he has his own problems in Boston. Let's be real. Him being a coach in Boston is already a problem because there is a lot of people that don't care for people of his skin color in Boston already. So the moment he makes any type of missteps that they all just things that they don't like, they will let him know. And I'm sure they'll call him everything but a child of God. You know, because that's what Boston does to people of African-American descent. Let's just be honest. But my problem is that every time somebody gets a, a leading role in a, in a, you know, speaking of like movie, you know, connotations, you know, anytime you get somebody gets a lead role, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's slander in a smear campaign. You know, it's okay. They can be supporting actors. And he can't, he can't be the leader though. This black man can't, African-American man can't be a leader. No, we can't have that. And if he is, we gotta, we gotta make him look bad. You gotta make him look like he's not fit for that particular job and make his life a living hell. In all honesty, you know, because we just don't, we just don't want to see that. We don't want to see those type of people get ahead. You know, yet again, and uh, going back to Chauncey Billups about how they were hounding Dame Lillard and on Twitter and Instagram and things of that nature, talking about, you know, is this your coach and this is the guy you want? You know, did you, you advocate for this guy to be hired? This and the third. And Dame was like, I didn't have any to say so whatsoever. You know, which could backfire in the Blazers. And we'll talk about this in a minute. It could backfire for the Blazers because all of a sudden now, you know, it's it's souring Dame because it's the fans who who he was mainly the sole reason why he's staying in Portland are now turning on him. So that that could be your that could be a downfall, you know, in its own right. But yet again, but just speaking on the point of the fact that they find any and every way to take tear down and sully black men when they get a leadership role is 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 highly problematic and needs to end. It really needs to end, and that's that's yet a, a, a problem in a long list of problems of racial divide and social injustice in this country. Is that every time somebody that of color who gets a deserving job. Chauncey's been and Jason been assistants for a long time. Great players and great assistants. National matriculation says that they should get a head coaching job, especially with all these vacancies. But yet again, anybody with any type of, you know, history, you know, because let's be real. Any any and everybody making these allegations or anybody that's judging the situation, if you look yourself in the mirror, I'm sure you made a mistake in your younger years. I'm not excusing anything they ever did or didn't do, but we've all made mistakes. And then if you look at Chauncey's history recently, look at Jason's history recently, their lives have been absolutely positively exemplary. They're better and totally positive men now. Regardless of what you want to say they were or were not in the past, their lives and their resume in the past 10 to however many years since their incident has been stellar. But yet you want to bring up that one thing in his past where he was a much younger and less mature male to make it, to bring down the idea of him being a coach of an NBA basketball team. Again, that's the problem. That's the problem. Every time somebody that doesn't, you know, fit your bubble of who you think should be in those roles gets in there, it's a problem. And you want to make him look bad. Again, that's the issue and the divide in this country. It's one of the many divides that 
You just don't want to see anybody that doesn't look like the status quo to you being in those roles. And if they are, you got an issue with it. You got an issue with it, especially when those is one of those players that you can't control. Like a certain certain African American minority coach that, that are, can be in those positions that you can control and make and manipulate and make him do what you want him to do. But when these guys have their own mind, they have their own personality, and they're strong in their convictions, all of a sudden, since we can't control them, we've got to make them look bad. Sad, sad business, man. Sad business. And and people really need to get over themselves. You know, honesty. That's that's the biggest problem I have with this particular situation. You need to get over yourself. Because everything isn't about you. And everybody does that. You don't have to lose in order for other people to win. That's, that's everybody can in this situation, everybody can win. Chances to win and everybody can make money and everybody can win basketball games and everything should be cool. You know, because look like it's Jason, same thing with Jason Kidd. They can they can literally come in and and make the situation that much better for your franchise and everything gonna be all good. But you are not even willing to give him that chance based upon who he is and what he looks like. Problems. Big time problems. And it needs to end. It really needs to end. Change your heart if you feel that way. Change your heart. Look within yourself and change your heart and understand that you should be a person that just looks at him as a human being, not of the pigmentation of their skin. And that's just it, man. But getting back to the sports analysis portion of this segment, right? So Rick Carlisle moves on from the Mavs and goes to the Pacers. This particular move, I'm kind of on the fence. Because, again, I don't have any, I don't have a lot of love for the decision-making process. Although I like, like some players on the Pacers team, I don't have a lot of love for their decision-making when it comes to coaches here lately. Um, you know, you had a stint with Rick Carlisle before. He left. Now he's back. You had a stint with Nate McMillan. She got fired too early. I'm sure you're regretting that because this team is in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm just not sure. About Rick Carlisle. Now, Rick Carlisle is a good coach. I'm just not sure this team will be much better or worse with him there. I I don't know. Because the thing about Rick Carlisle is he's a person that could take a team that's already ready to win and take them far. But as far as him being a team that taking a team that needs pieces, needs to be built, you know, it's 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 kind of like you got you got a, a a box of parts from IKEA and you got to piece it together. You know that's what they are. They got some nice pieces that are in that box. They look nice, but they aren't put together. And Rick Carlisle doesn't seem to me seem to me that type of guy that can put that that furniture together from IKEA. He just can't seem to do it. I just I don't, I don't see him being that guy. Like he's ready. He can take a team that's ready to go and have stars on already and make them win and make them. You know he can he can gel those pieces together. You can put those pegs in those holes and he could literally make it work. But when you, a team is, is kind of on the fringe of, you know, being in the playoffs, not being in the playoffs, has some decent players, but needs some more pieces, any help and aid in getting them over that hump and making this team a better team and making a playoff team. I got questions about that. Again, questionable hire. You know, because I'm not saying Ricardo isn't a good coach. I just think he's he fits better with a team that's got better talent on it at, from the start. The idea of building a team from ground zero, I'm just not sure he's the guy to do it. So we'll see how it happens. But again, if it doesn't work, that's just, you know, not the Pacers in the front office not reading the room properly. And I think that's a big issue. 
Now, Chauncey's case, I think this is a better fit. I really liked him as an assistant, although he's on the rival team. Obviously, I'm a Lakers fan. You know, whatever. whatever. But, you know, him being a coach with the Blazers is, is a good look for him. I think his first stint is he did not in a bad situation. I just think that he has to figure out what to do with this team um, and be a voice to the front office to say, hey, we need to shift gears with certain guys. Cause I, I, we, I talked about this a little bit in the previous podcast about what the Blazers need to do personnel wise. I really think they need to revamp their roster. Um, I think they need to um, swap CJ McCullough for uh, a different two go along with Dane. They need, um, they could, I think they can do themselves. Okay. Well, keeping normal pal. Um, they probably need to move on Nurkic and find a different, a uh, more athletic big. Um, and uh, and just go from there, and go from there. But again, I mean, it's Chauncey's. I think that because he's young, he's hungry, and uh, he's has a really good knowledge of the game. I think he will, and he could help Dane. Uh, you know, from a point guard perspective, and seeing the game in a certain uh, uh, light, you know, he could be good for Dane. But it's just a question about what the front office decides to do personnel wise, and whether or not this will help him. Now, again, we'll talk about Dane's situation in a minute, but. It really will just boil down to, uh, you know, whether Dame stays or goes and how they manipulate this roster. Because I'm, sh- you know, because if they don't make any changes, any holistic changes, they're going to be the same team they were no matter who coaches them. You know, if you can bring Phil Jackson and whoever in here, Coach K, whoever, and they're just not going to get that much different of a result out of this team unless they revamp the roster. It has to be a little bit different. Got to retool it around Dame. Dame is your piece, he's the franchise. Build around him and build around him properly. So it goes down to the Celtics hiring, Emil Duku. Now, Emil has been a really good assistant for years. I think he came up through Popovich and a few others. So I like his his uh, coaching lineage, his his, uh, his 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 coaching tree. I like that. I think he's come. He's built a good stock. Now, the only thing about this is, is that again, he's he's in a similar situation with uh, with Chauncey is where he has two good stars. He has Jalen and he has uh, Jason, but what do you do above that? You know, and whether or not he was able to, uh, cause I really feel like, uh, Jason and Jalen like him as a hire. I think they were cool with it. I think they really were, were happy that he got hired, um, uh, which is makes them happy. But what do you do from a personal perspective outside of them is, 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 the, is the question, um, uh, whether or not this would be a good fit, honestly. Um, again, I think Chauncey and, and, and MA's, uh, hires were good, but, it's also indicative of what they do personnel-wise. Now, I mean, shifting and manipulating this roster, I mean, they already traded Kimmel Walker away before M.A. got there, but um, which was a good move. They got uh, Al Horford back. So you got Al Horford, Jalen, and Jason, you know, but that core, build around that. And uh, if you can't build around that successfully, then I think he'll get maximum effort out of Jalen and Jason. I think you'll be okay. I think you'll be okay, and I think there'll be a playoff team again next year. So it'll just whether how they land and how they fit in that dynamic of one through eight is the question. But I think they'll at least be middle to top tier if they can get the right pieces in there. They need one more guy and another a good a good number three. They can use a good number three and they'll be cooking with gas. Then now that goes to Jason Kidd as we wrap up uh, the good fit segment for coaching hires. Now I I like Jason Kidd. I do. I mean, he was a sister for us. You know, I really feel like uh, he was a sister for the Lakers for quite some time. He won a title with us. So uh, I think that he's a really good coach. Um, 
But the question again is, and I think he's in a worse situation than uh, the Blazers and the Celtics are for from a talent perspective because he has Luca and the rest. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. He has Luca and the rest. Now, what they do with Porzingis and and Tim Hardaway Jr. and those guys, I don't know, but Luca needs a number two for sure. Um, I would move off of Porzingis and uh, find me my find me somebody else. Again, I'm not sure who that guy would be, but I think that they need to do that. Um, keep Hardaway and find him a number two and build from there. If they can do that, and with Luca's, you know, star power, I think there will be. Um, I think Jason can at least get him to the second round of the playoffs. But again, it's a slow grind. I mean, it's just because we really don't know know what a number two is. I mean, unless it's a dominant number two, how let's say how they like get Trevor Dame Lillard. And that would make oh that would make different big time difference, you know, in in uh in their future in their production. But yet again, you know, it just really depends on who that piece is. I mean, the free agency and the draft is kind of murky. I think the draft draft is pretty good, but they're gonna be young kids, so you can't uh, depend on a young kid to take you to the promised land right away. You know, these kids have been you know, 18, 19 years old. So I would say that uh. Yeah, I think Jason got his work cut out for him in trying to calm the dysfunction that is the Dallas Mavericks because you got you have a new GM, you have you have clearly a new coach, um, some personnel changes going to have to come, you know, some issues with uh, advisors in the front office that are cool with Mark Cuban, so he got his work cut out for him, honestly, and I really do. And, and if he handles it handles it well, and he can, and the front office stuff kind of chills out, I think he'll be have a decent season coming up but it's a building it's a building process you want to give jason a few years a couple of years to get this thing where it needs to be if you get the personnel right so yeah i think it's really uh not a to be determined with these coaching hires um because it all depends on personnel it really does because i think they got in in certain regards you know they got some pieces but i think they need to retool them if they want to be competitive because you know the top heavy teams are going to be who they are and can you Match them will be the will be the issue will be the difference whether or not these coaches hires will work out or not. But yeah. So as lastly, as we wrap up this NBA segment before I get on to uh, talking about the Olympics, uh, there's rumors that Chris Haynes broke a story that uh, that Dame Lillard may want out. Now, you had, we you know with him having that cryptic message on social media, you know things like that, and people kind of took it and. Um, you know, it grew legs for about two seconds and they died. So they, nobody really took it like, oh God, he's leaving. But now <laughs> with Chauncey Billis being hired and, and the fans coming for him on social media and, uh, them not showing holistically from the time he's been there, uh, their, their innate ability to build a, a championship caliber team around him. He may be. If this story is true, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's the gospel because that didn't, it didn't come from Dame's uh, mouth verbatim. But if his story is true, then, you know, he could, he could want out. You know, again, it really just depends on whether the story is true or not. You know, I mean, I, I don't, it's not, it doesn't sound far-fetched, you know, because he sh- he's showing frustration with the same, you know, same shit different day. Let's just be honest. That's, he's just frustrated with that. So, 
It's just a question of uh, whether or not he's going to deal with it with, with one more year, at least give Chauncey a chance, or is he going to force a trade? And what, are, and what, does, that, what does that trade look like, and where does he go? Because he has like four years left on his deal. So it's not like he can be a free agent, you know, coming up soon and they just need to trade him now so they don't lose him or outright. They got him for four more years. So they could slow play this and trade him, you know, later if he really wants out. But regardless, you know, it just depends on where he lands. I mean, there's talks about a few things. I'm sure he would want to go to a contender, you know. Of course, you know, Lakers Nation and Trevor Trevor uh Trevor Lane and all those guys and Lakers Nation, all those guys talking about, you know, what are the likely scenarios of us getting him the moment he uh popped up in, in storyline, but Lakers really don't have the assets, nor do the Blazers want to deal with them as being their rival. You know, and again, they they would have to put together a Herculean deal to get him in L.A. Honestly, truly, they got to match the money up too. So that's a big problem because we have we have up against the salary cap. So, but regardless, you know, if he goes out east or somewhere like that, you know, going to contender like say he landed in Boston, hypothetically, that would be crazy. Jason, Jalen, and Dame, woo, that's rough. Just throw some things out there, but again, it's, we're not going to sit here and act like it. This is a gospel story because you know Dame hasn't said anything one way or the other. Kind of like Aaron Rodgers, you know, he doesn't say anything one way or the other, so he has plausible deniability about everything. So if he gets what he wants and they get they dress personnel the proper way and he likes Chauncey as a coach, then he'll stay and he'll run it back. But if he doesn't, he could force his way out, much like James Harden did, and end up somewhere with another powerhouse. And boy, we'd be talking about that for weeks. So. We'll see how it shakes out, man. We'll see how it shakes out. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting storyline if he does one out. You know, because if, if the story is true, it kind of makes me feel like he doesn't, he's not really cool with either one or two things. Either he's not cool with the hire about Chauncey, which I, I'm not sure about that. I think him and Chauncey are kind of cool. Uh, I think they had good rapport in the previous, you know, previous relationships, talking offseason, things of that nature. Uh, or he just was mad about the idea that the fans came for him. And, again, that's – again – you doing you trying to make Chauncey look ugly to backfire in your face and make Dane walk because he don't feel like the fans, you know, the fans turned on him. He feel like the fans are not riding with him no more. And that's the reason why he's been staying this this long. He's been staying for the fans. He ain't been staying because he's been winning. He's been staying been loyal because of the fans. So the fans turn on you. Now you have no reason to stay. Now all that hate you have for Chauncey backfire in your face and you lose your best player. If that is really the case, and that's really why. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's what you get. But anyway, now quick play spotlight. Um, four guys have been turning out massive performance in these playoffs here. Trey Young, obviously, he's had, I want to say, two 40 point games in the last week. Young Sons is a coupo. I'm telling you, man. Now, this man can't make a three pointer, can't make a free throw or outside jumper outside the painted area. But when I say the amount of efficiency and numbers he's been putting up in the last week or so has been crazy. Now, outside of this game last night, DeAndre Aiden's been having a really good good series as well. So he's been putting up numbers and had put back basket he had for the game winner game two. My God. <laughs> and in the game after that, he had 22 boards, nine offensive. Crazy numbers. And then what Chris Middleton did last the last game of that uh, Buck series just passed and what he's been doing overall has been crazy too. So those four guys are definitely candidates for breakout player of the week. So look out for that. Now let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the Olympics. Uh, first and foremost, um, they released the 
uh, roster. We'll go take a look at it. At least the roster of the NBA. Um, the U.S. Olympic team is official now. Uh, Greg Popovich is the coach. Uh, Steve Kerr is the assistant. Louis Pierce is the assistant, which is weird. He just got fired. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. And Jay Wright uh, and Jerry Colangelo are also assistants on the team. Now, who's on this team is a quite interesting list of people. Now, some I like, some I don't. And, I, and I'll tell you why briefly. Bam Adebayo, I like. He, he deserved to be there. He's a good young player, good rim protector, good low post presence, uh, good defender. Bradley Bill, great shooter, should be there. Uh, Devin Booker, you know, everybody knows how I feel about Devin Booker. That's my guy. Uh, so, yeah, he definitely belongs there. Uh, Kevin Durant is the leader of this group. Definitely belongs there. He's one of the best of the best players out there right now. Jeremy Grant, um, he don't get a lot of fanfare, a lot of love because he's been in Detroit and they haven't been winning, but I think he's he deserves it. I think Draymond should be there as well. He definitely has, uh, he definitely has, um, you know, that defensive prowess and that, and that veteran leadership that is going to be uh, paramount. Now it'd be interesting to see how him and Kevin Durant interact because they got a, they've had an up and down relationship. So we'll see how that goes. But they're on the team together. Uh, Drew Holiday from a defensive perspective, point guard. Um, I'm a little shaky with that one, but you know, but again, that's what you had to choose from a point guard position. Okay. Eh. Zach Levine as well. I mean, he's okay. Um, but yeah, again, I'm kind of like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a, he's a finisher. You know, he's he's a good finisher at the rim. So the type of basketball that Slim Team likes to play, he kind of fits the mold. Dame Lillard definitely belongs there. I mean, if anybody does, he does. Him and Kevin Durant, like the the top names that belong there, and it should be there. Now, this Kevin Love thing, like. Like, why? He hasn't played. You know, it doesn't have nothing to do with Kevin's talent or anything like that. He just hadn't played in months. How do you make the Olympic team? How? And it's quite a few. We can we can go through all the list about who could, should be playing in this role as a point because he's a power forward. He's a power forward. There's a, quite a few names out there, power forward related, that should be having this role. So why is Kevin Love on his team? I don't I don't understand it. That that was a very big head scratcher for me. You know, I, I didn't get that one. Again, he'd been hurt or not playing for the Cavs for quite some time. So why is he on the Olympic team again? Somebody help me. I don't get it. I mean, he hadn't played. And it's pretty people that had been playing and deserved his role. I mean, like, like let's say Zion Williamson, for instance. That's just, you know, just throw one throw a big name out there. Zion should be playing. I mean, hell, I would give it to uh I would give it to uh <laughs> Oh, Julius Randle first before I give it to Kevin Love. I mean, just talking about from a quote-unquote you know, three-slash-four power forward type of role, I'm going to give it to him first. These guys have been playing. You know, these some of these guys are all-stars. They don't make the team. Oh, and Kevin Love does. I don't get that. Chris Middleton, deserving. Deserving. And Jason Tatum, obviously. That, again, Jason Tatum's my guy as well. So, you know, I have no beef with tell him, talking about Jason Tatum. Now, this list, the Kevin Love thing is a complete head-scratcher, but the other guys I was kind of on the fence on, I feel like they're only there because certain people opted out or they decided they want to play or they were injured or just decided they weren't going to go, going to run it with the Olympic team this year. Um, of course, LeBron James isn't on this list and he's getting up there. Um, so he, and actually coming off an injury, so he shouldn't be, he shouldn't play. I mean, that's regardless of how you feel about the Olympics, I'm going to touch on that in a minute. You know, he just probably needs to sit. Same thing with Anthony Davis. He just needs to sit because it hurt. And they need to rehab. Now, where's Steph Curry on this? 
Steph Curry isn't isn't on the list. He's not playing. Why is that? But his counterpart and his teammate is playing. I wonder what Clay Thompson's health is as well. I mean, I would think that Clay might have wanted to show up for uh this, and he didn't. I mean, I think he should be about healthy right now. He's close to being hundred percent. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure hundred percent, but he should be close to it, right? No, Clay Thompson. And quite a few other names, like uh, Donovan Mitchell is not on this list. Uh, you know, I mean, we can, I mean, I could, I could literally go on and on about who's not on this list that should be. And I still, I'm still, again, questioning the whole uh, uh, Kevin Love thing. Like I said, Paul George isn't on the list. And I know, I know he's playing right now, but the games don't start after the season's over. Jimmy Butler's not there. So, questionable. You know, we don't we didn't have a clear understanding why these guys who are clearly better players than certain these some of these guys on this list are, but they're just they're conspicuously absent, right? So why is you know why I bring all this up? Because I, I I broached the story I broached the story uh, a few podcasts back. If you haven't listened to it, go back and a few podcasts and listen. But uh, I brought a story about the IOC, which is the governing body of the Olympics, uh, coming out and saying that they would uh, fine, ban, or remove, hypothetically, people that protest uh, racial injustice issues at the Olympics. Had a big problem with that. Had a big problem with that. Uh, also, here, uh, just today I read a story that they also were going to uh, disallow women that are breastfeeding women to participate in the Olympics if they were embarking in those acts. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So they, 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 then there's that, right? Okay. Now, looking at it like, okay, so Serena Williams normally plays in the Olympics. She opted out. But she's playing in Wimbledon, I believe, uh, which is going on, you know, here soon. Um, but then you got Naomi Osaka, who's opted out of the last two tournaments uh, professionally, but she's opted into Olympics. Now, granted, I'm, I, I don't, honestly, I'm not sure who Naomi was going to play for. I don't know if she's going to play for her uh, U.S. or her native country. Uh, I think it's Japan, I want to say. Uh, I'm not sure who she's going to represent. But yet again, it's. To me, it's a lot of, for athletes, a pandemic and the civil unrest and the racial unrest in this country, to me, has people really on the fence with the Olympics and all these allegations. I want to, I'm going to call them allegations, all these mandates and, and demands that the IOC is forcing you to adhere to if you want to participate. That right there to me tells me that certain people just bother, don't bother playing. In it and don't want to participate because uh how uh i guess you can say old school ilc's been that's a good word how old school the ilc's been you know honestly i think that's the biggest problem i think that's the issue for a lot of these people especially these people that have strong opinions on racial unrest and social injustice issues i really feel like they definitely uh, are sitting this one out for that reason. And that's just my opinion. I mean, honestly, truly, because there's, like I said, there's some names that just have no, they have no 
quote unquote reason not to play when it comes to basketball and certain other things, you know. Um, and I really feel like they they just seeing what the ILC is, is putting down. They really are looking at their moves and how they're, uh, you know, putting things in writing and say that you can't do things and you can't do this and can't do that. I mean, the the whole idea of the I can't breastfeed my child thing is is just absurd to me. And it makes me feel like the ILC is a bunch of old rich white men that, you know, no matter what the world is turning to, what the world is coming to, or that we're not doing that in our events. It's a world event. And no matter how progressive you've gotten in your own little lane, we let you know that the world hasn't changed enough for us not to say that the world events that the whole entire world is going to be watching is going to be the way we want it to be. And I, I really feel like that's, that's, that's what it boils down to. And I might have to do some investigative reporting to see who's actually on the ILC board, but I doubt very highly that it's any uh, minorities in, on it, or very few, if any at all, and or any women on this board. Because I refuse to believe that any woman that has a child or any empathetic woman, period, will allow or would vote for the idea of not allowing women to breastfeed their children while they participate and compete. I mean, come on. I mean, if we go. We can go to the idea of Nike dropping Allison Felix for being pregnant, but you know, we can get into that story as well. But yet again, you know, but she, what she do? Turn around, make her own brand, and and it's flourishing. So, the eggs on your face, Nike. But regardless, ILC is really, really, really vexing my spirit. And again, I really feel like they have that old Republican type of mindset and we're just going to do things the way we want to do them and you represent the way we want to present you shut up and do the way things we say you do them you can't protest you can't breastfeed you can't do anything that we don't say is we deemed proper in these events or you can't compete you know what i don't need your medal i don't need your money and that's what i just i feel like certain athletes feel i don't need your medal i need your money i can make money in all a bunch of different avenues i don't need the notoriety because i mean let's be honest back in the day you know it was very few avenues to make money and the olympics and things like that the stuff you got from that the accolades and things like that and the fame and endorsements you got from that was big and you only could do that if you were there and you won now there's multiple and endless avenues to make revenue so you don't need these things so people are honestly and truly sitting these things out when you are acting in this manner and and i hope Hope if that's really your move, IOC, and that's really what your type of time you're on, I hope that you end up losing money and losing money and losing money slowly but surely to the point so you get to the, to get to the understand what the problem is with your mindset and change your ways. I hope that's what it boils down to. That's really what I hope it does. So yeah, so now I really feel like that's what people that the smaller people, the small subset of people that are really big got big notable names opting out. Of not playing the Olympics, of not playing for, and I really feel like the IOC has totally and completely prehistoric in in their takes and their in their mindset about these mandates that they they've been doling down. And I hope they hope they hope it backfires and blows up in their face, and hope they hope they lose money based upon it. Because let's be honest, only time you're going to really try to change your ways, you may not change your heart, but you'll change your ways if you lose money. And I hope it happens for you.
because that's the only way you're going to change. But that's going to wrap up this news segment. Stay tuned. This corner is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Back with y'all just corner. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, as we wrap up for the NFL season, uh, many camps have concluded. Uh, the team is on a bit of a break before uh, we get to camp on the 28th. So uh, what I wanted to do was go through uh, the entire offseason, what we did in the offseason as far as moves and concern for agency, uh, the draft, what we did in the draft, and uh, my wish list for what would I want to see happen in the upcoming season. Hopefully we can get this accomplished. If we get this accomplished, I think we have a really good season. Uh, but first and foremost, I want to uh, shout out our new coach, Brandon Staley. Uh, he replaced Anthony Lynn from last year, which was a much-needed change. Uh, uh, I always played Anthony Lynn, but um, he just couldn't seem to get the team uh, to rally and get the team where it needed to be. Um, lacked a, a little bit of a – it was a little bit of a coaching uh, issue there. You know, uh, definitely um, some in-game decisions and game management, clock management, a lot of things that – you know, a coach of that of of his caliber shouldn't be making a lot of mistakes he made. So, uh, you know, we had to move on. Oh, uh, a little bit surprised that we got Brandon Staley. In all honesty, uh, a great defensive coach, great defensive minded coach. I and I definitely appreciate that. Of course, I mean, you know, my podcast. It, you know, I'm an advocate of defense, but a little bit surprised. I thought we would go with an offensive guy because we got Justin Herbert. And he had such a good year last year. Uh, I thought we might go Brian Dayball uh, or Eric Bieniemy within division. That'll be interesting. Um, headline go against his a former uh mentor and Andy Reid, but we ended in Brandon Staley. Now Brandon Staley has said all the right things. I give him credit for that. I will list all his interviews um on Chargers.com and things of that nature, and he said all the right things. He has he's he's a really uh knowledgeable uh from a football standpoint. He knows a lot of football, and he definitely uh, resonates with the players. You know, especially the defensive players. They they love him. You know, so I think that would definitely help our defense, which has been a, a sticking point, you know, in all honesty, in the last several years. I mean, the offense has been, you know, up and down, but the defense has, has been a struggle bus, in all honesty. So uh, it, it was needed. So I think the Chargers front office felt like we did want to go defensive coach, and um, he, would, he would do us a favor and hire us a strong offensive coordinator in, in Lombardi, Joe Lombardi. So that, uh, those two hires, I'm going to be watching them with a close eye, you know, microscopic eye in Hopefully these things pan out. Hopefully that defense does get better. I think I like our personnel. Um, so we'll see exactly what what goes on. Um, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't uh, not. They did not address the elephant in the room. I would say you know you know one, a lot of times the Chargers have glaring needs and they don't address them. But they did us a, a solid in this free agency pool. Uh, so they went out and, and dressed the 
biggest need and the, the most imperative need, and that's O-line. They went out and got Corey Lindsley, spent a nice dollar on him, uh, Pro Bowl Center from the Packers. They got my filer from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers guard. They also got Ode Abouchier from the Lions. So that's three solid pieces um, on O-line, which only left the left tackle position to be had, quote-unquote. Um, and we, as you will probably know at this point, we addressed that in the draft, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, they also added Jerry Cook. We lost Hunter Henry in free agency. So they got Jerry Cook. Now, Jerry Cook isn't a blocker Hunter Henry is, but he's a good receiver. So that would definitely be a good target for uh, Justin Herbert going forward. Uh, they pulled out uh, Kyle Fackrell, an uh, edge defender uh, from the Packers, another edge guy because the defense is switching to the 34. They also got Christian Covington. Christian Covington is a solid def interior defensive tackle, which would be a no slash end for us um, in rotation. That was a good pickup as well. Draft picks. Now, I was really happy with uh, the you know first part of the draft. The back half was going to be a developmental piece that I'm going to have to wait and see. But I think that overall, I think we hit home with our first three picks. And, um, and we'll see how those uh, next uh, middle row picks shake out. Um, a couple of guys that kind of got my eye on, I want to see uh, flourish and play well early. Maybe special teams to get some you know reserve role. But it should be interesting. So our first pick was Rashad Slater, left tackle. So we addressed that. So we got Rashad Slater, left tackle, Brian Balaga, right tackle. Uh, Corey Lindsay in the middle of the center, and it looks like it's going to be Matt Fowler and, o and Odell Boucher in, in, in interior. Um, that'll be my guess, but I mean, it's still a competition. I think that it's solidified with uh, the tackles in the center, but I think the guards are up for debate. But I think, you know, because you still have uh, Trey Pipkin and a few others in camp, uh, they've been there, but I think that it's their job to lose. And I think I think I really like that O line going forward. Uh, so we got Rashad Slade in the first round, got Asante Samuels Jr. in the second round, which I thought was a steal. A really good, solid corner uh, to go along with Chris Harris and Michael Davis. So that's a good addition. Uh, we got Josh Palmer, a really good uh, wide receiver. Uh, should play the slot for us uh, in the third round. We got Trey McKenzie, tight end. Uh, I guess you can say a, a receiving slash blocking tight end uh, in the fourth round. We got Chris Rump, who's a, I think he's a, uh, he's a generational guy. I think his coach, father's a coach. I don't, maybe he played, I'm not sure. I'll go back and look at that, but uh, he's another edge defender, uh, a 34 edge guy, a rep, good pass rusher. So, um, so out of Duke, I believe he's out of. So we got him, and then uh, we get Brendan James, an uh, a reserve offensive lineman. Um, after that, so we had one, two, three, four, five. We had pick six with Brendan James, uh, Nick Neiman, uh, uh, interior linebacker, um, from Missouri, I want to say Iowa, Iowa, uh, from Iowa. So that's gonna be another guy that we you can use for depth. Uh, we did have some issues with linebacker. Kenneth Murray played all season, but Drew Tranquil went down early. Um, so, you know, we need that uh, linebacker depth in case we lose one of those guys. Hopefully not. Um, we also got Larry Roundtree, the third, which is kind of a head scratch for me, a little bit of a power back. Uh, uh, and I was thinking they might go Jerry Patterson there or a couple other notable guys. They're running back to get some depth, but they, they went him. A um, little bit of mystery with that pick. I'm a little bit like a little bit of head scratcher. So I just had to see one if he makes the team two. Um, can he produce, you know, in the preseason? So we'll see about him. And then rounded out, we got Mark Webb, a safety. Uh, he's uh, probably be a special teams guy, you know, that'll fill out the roster. So, yeah, overall, man, I think we did a, we had a really good haul when it came down to our free agency in the draft. I think we did really well to re the upgrade our team. Uh, I would say, you know, from a wishes perspective, I think that once we go into camp, I think my biggest uh, driving point would be to, one, stay healthy. Uh, which has been a big problem for us to staying healthy 
Uh, and I'm not sure if that's the, the regiment the coaches had us on or just dumb luck, bad luck, whatever you want to call it. But we've lost key guys in the past four or five years in camp. Like they never made out of camp and they've been hurt all year, you know, or they've been banged, they get banged up in camp and they never really get healthy because they keep going in the game and getting hurt because they know they don't, maybe they're being rushed back or, or something like that, rushing themselves back, who knows. But they come in the game, you know, after being hurt in several weeks and they get back and it's just not the same. So I think my biggest wish list moment is for us to stay healthy through camp, especially for pivotal players. Like, I mean, your 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 main guys, I need them to stay healthy. So if they can stay healthy, I think we will be fine going into the season. And like I said, that might be a coaching thing. Like maybe Staley has a different uh, mindset as far as how he works guys in camp. And we'll be back in a normal camp type of scenario. No COVID-related uh, things where you can't do certain things. You know, the protocols were a little bit different last year than it will be this year. So we'll have a full camp. You know, uh, so that'll be good. So uh, let's see how it shakes out. But that's my biggest thing. My number one thing is to stay healthy. You know, no Doran going down, no Keenan going down, no Justin, nobody, you know, Austin, nobody, you know, you know, any O lineman, you know, any, you know, anybody like that. Just not, we no major injuries to starters. That's my biggest problem. And I think the hope we can avoid that will be good. I mean, little next next and one things here, but I'm not. I'm talking talk ACLs and Achilles and broken bones and stuff like that. We can't have that. Can't have it. So, um, yeah, that was my biggest sticking point with that. My next point would be for Justin Herbert to have no regression. Uh, I think that if he he excels and he progresses off his uh, rookie of the year awarding season, will be great. Um, no sophomore slump for him because um, you know I mean he's a great talent. I mean he had a great rookie season despite having not having a good old line. He has a good old line now, so that should be a plus for him. But he has a different offensive coordinator, so. You know, you got, you got to look at it from that standpoint that he's learning a new guy. So, I mean, let's just hope that, you know, Lombardi can get him uh, moving forward and not go and take any steps back. The next point would be to bring back the running game. I think it will take the pressure off Justin Herbert is, and, and he can really settle in and be comfortable with passing and handing the ball off and getting positive yards. You know, now I'm not sure if Larry Roundtree is going to be the guy, but if he's not the guy, we need to get ourselves a good short yardage power back. I like Caleb Elodge in that role last year because he was a good – Six foot one, two hundred thirty-five pound bruiser. Um, bring him back. Maybe Josh Kelly fills that role in certain regards. Although he's a little bit of a one-cut back, not necessarily finesse. But I think that we need a guy that can be a short yardage guy. Because I think I like Austin Eckler. I like Justin Jackson. But I really feel like they're elusive receiving type backs. We need that. We need that, that that bruiser. You know, to get those tough yards and short yardage situations when we don't have to throw the ball every single time. So I think that would be a good idea for us to do. Um, in camp, some you know maybe find somebody that's you know trying out and you know maybe not make the team right off and not on the roster just yet, but they'll they'll sneak in. Next point would be for the sign of us to sign another corner and safety. I think we can use another corner. Um, so there's a few names out there that's still kind of blowing in the wind as far as free agents are concerned. We got a little bit of money left in cap, so I would say you know even reach out to Malik Hooker as a safety backup safety because uh, I mean like I said we're looking at Derwin James and Nazir Adderley probably being a starting safeties, but and Nazir hadn't played a full season yet. So I think we could use a good solid player with and Malik, I know he's coming off an injury, but he's a really good player. I mean, he he had he had a great game against us last year. So uh yeah, I would think maybe bringing him or somebody like that in just to have us some depth from the corner and the safety position. So in the case we do have any injuries, you know, hey, cross my fingers we don't. But if we do, I think that would be a good idea for us to sign some and have some depth in that in that regard and won't have any drop off if we do have any injuries. 
And lastly, I think my biggest thing about our offense um, from a receiving perspective, I think I'll need somebody to step up, you know, um, outside of Allen and Williams um, to be that third guy. You know, it could be Josh Palmer. Like I said, we've drafted him. He's a good prospect, tall, you know, you know, good receiver, good slot receiver. Uh, you got Jalen Guyton and a few other guys that, that, that showed signs last year. I just need somebody to come in and be consistent and, and to be healthy. You know, that, like I said, that's the biggest sticking point for me. Just be healthy and be productive. And I think we'll have a really good offense. And Justin Herbert will have everything he needs uh, to to be a good, be having another solid campaign to build on that rookie of the year trophy. So, but yeah, man, I think that's overall, I think that if we can accomplish those things, we did really well in free agency in the draft. I think we we can accomplish and get through camp with those things checked off our, our boxes. I think the sky's the limit for us and, and being a wild card team uh, at worst, if we if we stay healthy and do things right, um, you know, if we could contend for the for the division crown. I mean, we had a it's a tall order facing them Chiefs. I'm not gonna act like it isn't, but uh, but they're beatable. I mean, clearly you saw what happened in uh, the Super Bowl, so they're beatable. You just gotta have a solid defense and, and be able to move the ball offensively and keep pace, you know, in certain regards, so you could uh you know make waves with them. But they're beatable. So I mean, everybody has them picked as being a division winner right now. But I think we can challenge them as long as we you know check those boxes. So, yeah, man, so I think that was, you know, a pretty good wrap-up for the Chargers corner this week. But, um, like I said, I just want to bring that back to our Bose fans out there that were, you know, lacking, you know, any Chargers news because we're kind of in a, in a light news cycle. But, yeah, I think those things will, will if those working out of favor, we'll have a great season, man. I'm really looking forward to it, man. But that's going to wrap up Chargers corner, man. Stay tuned for Lakers Locker Room. It's a Lockdown Divas Podcast. Locker room is the Lockdown Davis podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh man, the Lakers uh had a trying season this year, as you know. Uh, but I want to bring back the Lakers locker room for this reason, uh, much like I did with Chargers Corner uh this past week. And uh and I want to uh talk about how the season went for us and um what my wish list is going forward in the offseason and uh coming up to the next season, man. I think there's some things we need to change and do differently so we can get back to contention, man, with that. You know that I want that uh, one title in, bu- in the bubble to be a fluke, man. I think we still have a window to uh, get uh, some things done with the talent that we have. So um, I'm going to go through my wish list, man. And, and, and like I said, I'm going to recap the season real quick, and I'm going to go through my wish list about what I feel like happened um, to us and what we can do going forward to make it better for us this year coming. But overall, man, I think the season was just mired by injury. I think that our biggest problem is the fact that we – we're on the shortest amount of rest in ever in in league history. Uh, I think that was a that played a big part in our uh, lack of success. Um, and I think that although the the roster you know from the championship team uh, got better from a talent perspective, we lacked certain things that are very paramount in this league uh, this year. Um, we were really good defensively as a team, but 
uh, with the, between the injuries and our lack of uh, three point production, we one of the worst teams to shooting the three pointer, you know, in the whole entire league. I think that was a big problem. I think that was a big problem. And I think that that ultimately hurt us when we couldn't uh, get um, certain things done offensively with uh, our big guns being out of the lineup most of the season. LeBron and, and AD were gone most of the season. And, you know, that really hurt us, you know. And what and what I've been trying to point up and try to drive home on guard is this 3 and D wing play for us. You know, we have to defend the three. We have to shoot the three well. Shoot the, shoot the three and defend it well. That's where the league is. That's the way the league is dri- driving forward right now. It's That's where it is. So you have to be good at that, you know, because let's be honest. You know, as good as LeBron and AD are, they're two-point players. They're not heavy three-point players. They're two-point players. They get a lot of two-point baskets, you know, and a lot of these Western Conference teams especially shoot the three really well. The Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, you know, the the Blazers, you know, the, the Nuggets, they shoot the three really well. So when you don't, can't combat that without shoot with it, you know, you can't counter that by shooting the three well yourself, it becomes problematic. And I really feel like that was our Achilles heel and the reason why we lacked success or the amount of success we should have had in a season. You know, before the injuries, we were top – top, you know, one or two or three in the whole entire uh, conference and then lose AD and LeBron. And next thing you know, we're down floundering at number seven at the end. So that right there, like I said, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. And I think that we need to improve that uh, overall. But I think that was the ultimately our demise. I mean, like I said, just between AD missing a ton of games and LeBron missing several weeks, it, you know, it's just it was just a recipe for disaster. You know, we tried our best to fight, but you can see, you know, that that was our biggest problem in the playoffs. We barely eked out a win versus the Warriors. Uh, that went down to the wire with LeBron hitting, a, you know, ironically hitting a, a clutch three and putting us into this uh, into the series with the Suns. Now we were up on the Suns with two one with AD being aggressive and them not having to answer for him and being being dominant. But then he gets hurt again, and we back to square one. Again, us lacking three-point production. And LeBron, being LeBron, he had his, you know, typical 25 and 8-8. Eight and eight. But yet again, he's a two-point scorer. The Suns are getting three-point baskets, and we're not defending well, you know, from a, a three-and-D wing perspective. We're not shooting the ball well at all from anybody else besides LeBron. So, like, ultimately, that, that was our demise and the reason why we lost to the Suns. So, you got to look at that and go into the next season. That's what we need to address, and that's what we need to do um, differently um, in in our roster moves and whatever Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss and those guys feel like they need to do from a roster perspective. So um, getting into my wish list, I think the biggest things we need to address um, are, are the following. I think first and foremost, I think LeBron needs to take that time and rest. Uh, I noticed that as I alluded to earlier that he wasn't going to play in the Olympics. I mean, he's getting up there in age. I mean, I'm, I don't want to call him an old man, but, you know, for uh, in all honesty, I mean, he – is you know he's getting up there to be competing in the Olympics. I think that's him taking the time off is necessary to heal that ankle, come back fully healthy. You know, take a full all season off finally, and get healthy and be ready for the next season. Uh, AD is another another sticking point for me. I think he needs to work on his body. I think he needs to get stronger. I think he needs to get more limber, um, and I think he needs to get uh, you know some some toughness you know, to build some toughness in his body so his body doesn't fail him when it comes to the regular season. Because that's, that's been a, a, a issue for him in, in, in New Orleans and it's an issue for him now when he played a full season with the Lakers. So 
without that break, you know, cause he had a break with the bubble thing. So he didn't have to uh, play, you know, consistently and, and wind up getting hurt. Like he had in the past. Cause he's had quite a few nickname injuries. I mean, we just, he's such a good player. Just deal with it. You know? So I think he needs to really focus on working on his body, you know, retooling his body and really, you know, building a solid base and solid core so he could, you know, withstand the rigors of an 82-game season. Now, I'm not saying you got to play 82 games, but we need you healthy for the major, major pushes. You know, so we definitely need that from you. Um, so I think that's the biggest part, things from the two big guys. Now, when it comes down to the roster itself, I think the roster needs to be revamped. You know, honestly, I think there's certain things that need to change and change, you know, swiftly. You know, when it comes down to uh, this roster, because I think some guys just don't fit. You know, and I, I, we, you deal with it and you dealt with it when it comes down to, uh, when it comes down to the actual, uh, them being on a court at the time, you know, I mean, honestly, they, they were there, you just deal with it and you just try to get the best out of them. But, you know, I saw some glaring needs and holes and I just, it was not much you could do about it. You know, we added some, you know, pieces late that didn't really pan out like Andre Drummond and, and, and McLemore and a few others. So they just didn't pan out. They just didn't pan out. Like we thought they might, they helped, they helped in the roster, but Overall, man, I think that the biggest part of things we probably need to do, I mean, KCP's on the contract. I think we need to keep him, you know, because there was rumors that we know he may be a trade piece if we were to try to trade for somebody else that's a big name, um, Dame Lillard and things of that nature. But we talked about that earlier. I just don't think the Lakers have the ability to get Dame. Um, and why would the Blazers trade them to a rival? You know, honestly, that that's probably the last thing they want to do, no matter how rich the deal is. Outside of them offering him a of us offering him AD, they I don't think they're gonna take a deal from us. But that's just me. <laughs> so I would I would keep I would keep KCP. I would keep Caruso. I think Caruso is either a restricted free agent or unrestricted free agent this coming season. So we need to keep him, retain him. Uh, possibly under the drum, but I'm on the fence. I, I do like the fact that he can. He's a rim protector, and he takes uh, AD off the uh, the idea of having to be the primary rim protector. You know, because certain that. To me, that just leads for more context, more injuries for him. You know, so I'm just, you know, because I'm leaning towards whether or not he just needs to strengthen his body or he's just brittle. I'm just not sure what it is, but if you have Drummond, that helps AD. So I think that him being a really good player, play, a really good rebounder, helps us defensively, and it will help AD. So that could be a piece. But again, I'm on the fence with it. If he comes back, he comes back, he doesn't, he doesn't. But overall, man, I think we need to uh, address the point guard positions you know, finally, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do with Dennis Schroeder. He kind of disappeared from me uh, after he came back from COVID, which could have been that. I mean, it literally could have been the fact that he had COVID and it just affected him and he wasn't himself. Could have been that, you know, but he had little stretches where he was effective and then he wasn't effective. Um, you know, doesn't shoot the three really, really well. He's just okay. Um, he does have, he does give the uh, LeBron abilities to play off the ball, which I'm not sure he likes or doesn't like. I'm kind of on the fence with that as well, but I think that overall, I think that if we don't bring Dennis Schroeder back, we need to find a really good, facilitating, serviceable point guard that can shoot the three. Because uh, we need a third score. I think we need a dominant third score. I think, we're, well, I don't even call it dominant. I would just say we need to be a consistent third score. Uh, like I said, because we got two two-point basket players in Braun and AD, and we need somebody that can shoot, you know, outside of the painted area and mid-range in the three and can make them make consistently. But um, but yeah, um, and I think the biggest thing too, um, from a, pre- a reserve perspective, and people we bring in, um, uh, far as role players, we need to we need to increase our three and D wing uh, play. I think KCP is our best three and D wing guy. Um, uh, Caruso is a good 
B guy, but he's not a good three guy. So it's kind of like you get defense out of him, but you don't get a lot of three-point production. So you kind of take what it is. But I love his energy. I love his effort. You know, he gives his all every night. You know, sometimes he gets banged up, but he's he, he's definitely going to give you 100% every night, and I love that from him. So I think we should retain him. But, I mean, just looking at the roster, um, I would say definitely do away with Wesley Matthews. Then McLemore got to go. I think Jared Dudley's getting old, and I think it's time for him to just free up that money with him. Fonzo McKinney as well. Um, definitely, Cal Kuzma can be a trade piece. I know he's on a contract. He just signed his deal. Team friendly deal, though, about $13 million. So I think he can be a package deal for somebody if we wanted to get another, try to trade for somebody um, to, to bring in and help the team. I'm not sure, again, who that guy is. I mean, things, strange and weird things happen between the offseason, the draft, and the, and the start of the season, even up to the trade deadline. So who knows um, what, they would, what they would do or want to do, who will be available from a trade perspective, like because right now we're looking at like Ben Ben Simmons and and Dame possibly Dame being on the trade block, but that's pretty much it. And you got a few free agents, but a free agent class isn't that high, you know, brow either. So, you know, I'm just not sure exactly what they would do, but we should do something and do something right away because we got to improve this. We'll keep going on this. I like Tanner Horn Tucker. We should keep him, but he could be a hot button trade option um, as well. Again, if we do a trade with somebody, uh, Marky Morris can go. Uh, uh, Costas, Antetokounmpo, keep a stay or go. Don't really matter. Montrezl Harold, I think his his time is up. Um, you know he's just again another two point basket guy that, that doesn't when he his confidence wanes, he's really ineffective. Uh, and Marcus definitely can go as well. So I think that they need to figure out something else. Uh, in regards to those guys and just revamp the roster as a whole. And um, once we do that and once we understand what those names are, we could really give an analysis of what I think our chances will be going to the season. But that's my wish list, man. I think that we need to do all those things. LeBron and AD need to get healthy. AD needs to get stronger. Revamp the roster, retain a couple of guys. But we need to address the point guard position and improve our 3 and D wing play. And we'll be back right back at it. But how we do that and when we do that and what manner we do that, not quite sure yet. Because, you know, like I said, we're not rich in trade assets as far as first-round picks. We had that AD deal. I think this year's second first round pick is ours, but the next two are options for the Pelicans to take. So, you know, so that's that's rough, you know, from a future perspective, per pick perspective. Because I think the next pick we can actually offer solely without any uh, contention would be the 2027 pick. So that's a little far away. Nobody's going to want to really deal with that, you know, that far along. So but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But yeah, that's my wish list, man. So hopefully we can get that done and we will figure it out. Um, you know, I trust in Rob Palenka up to this point. He's been doing a massive job. So let's just hope that he can uh, keep working his magic and we'll be right back at it. But that's going to wrap up Lakers locker room, man. Stay tuned for the fourth quarter closeout. It's Lockdown Davis Podcast. back with a fourth quarter closeout of the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I'm being your host, Coach Defense, man. Fourth quarter closeout, man. We here. We done with another episode. Episode 46 is in the books, man. I appreciate everybody's viewership. 
Uh, like, comment, subscribe as always. Let us know you're out there. Comment. Let us know how you feel about these segments. How you feel about our content. Let us know how you feel. We can get some good feedback. We'll let you know we can do it bigger and better for everything that's out there and everybody that's listening, man. Appreciate everybody's support. As always, we go live each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. YouTube, Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcast from. You name it, we doing it. All right, man. Let's get into these awards, man, for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Demony Week, man. Let's do it. All right, man. I tell you, some one person had a masterful monster week. Actually, two people. Uh, gotta give credit. Shout out to Paul George, man. He took the he took the crown. It was gonna go to somebody else right before this. Uh, the last stats got in last night, but uh, gotta give him credit, man. Hey, he's been doing great. I mean, he's, he had him shooting really well until, until last night, but he's been putting in a, a great effort, man. Uh, we're talking twenty nine point three points a game. 12.5 rebounds the game and six assists. I mean, to fill it in for a, a, a no Kawhi Leonard led team, that's 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 great. That's great production. And then the last game with that 41 points of 12 and 15 shooting, that's the performance. And you needed that. You needed that performance in order to scave off elimination. So he did everything he had to do to keep his team alive and well. So he they definitely they definitely fighting still. So give Paul George all the credit, man. Give him all the credit. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, man. <laughs> I mean. Is walking, walking double double, walking double double. Thirty one points start to stretch, eleven rebounds, six point three assists. I mean, he's doing it all. He's doing it all, and he got his team primed and ready with a two one lead going against the Hawks uh, tonight uh, for uh, game four. Game four. So well, let's see, let's see what they do, man. Let's see what they do. We we'll see how Trey Young's health is, but Young's been putting in work. But not only be putting in work on the offensive end, he be putting on work on the defensive end as well, because he's a defensive player, lockdown defender of the week as well, being breakout player. Giannis had 32 rebounds over this course, three blocks and six steals. Yeah, I'd give it up to him. Now, DeAndre Aiden, not to be outdone by this defensively, he had 56 boards throughout this stretch, eight blocks and four steals. I mean, come on, man. You got to give a man credit for pulling in that many rebounds over a four-game stretch. One game, he had 22 rebounds in one game, eight blocks and four steals over a four-game stretch. I mean, he averaging, damn it, a steal and two blocks a game. I mean, get a man's love. Give us minutes left. So the Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and DeAndre Aiden, you are our breakout player of the week and lockdown defender of the week. <laughs> now on the big dummy of the week. Now <laughs> this is a this is an, an unlikely candidate or candidates for big dummy of the week this week. Uh, Robert Griffin the third or RG three, affectionately known as RG three. And Jay Williams. Jay Williams is the former Duke uh, basketball player who uh, was unfortunately injured and got his career derailed by a motorcycle accident, but he's now a, what you would call a sports analyst. Right? Uh, <laughs> when I say these two uh, young men have re missed the mark in <laughs> certain regards, they really have. They really have. Uh uh, first and foremost, RG3 decided in uh, a, a misstep or a misnomer in the series of misnomers that he's done on social media and in media space in general, pictures, statements. He's really been a shit show when it comes to social media. I'm just sad to say it. So in his next, in his latest incident, he decides to post 
pictures of his wife squatting with her rear end poked out to say that not all black, not only black women fill out sundresses. Wow. Wow. You should be focused on either one, get, trying to get back into the league or trying to be a sports analyst yourself, air quote. I heard rumors that somebody was fighting over his uh, rights to him to come to their network. But you steadily posting pictures of your now wife and her, what you would call, or what you would deem uh, a nice backside. That's what we're doing. <laughs> okay, Robert. Okay. I have been trying to give this guy, you know, passes because I mean, I really felt like uh, he had potential when he first started in the league, but boy, I got to jump off the chip and jump off it fast. That's one thing. Now, Jay Williams went on air and I believe he might have doubled down this on social media as well, but I haven't validated, but he literally said, Congratulations to Emil Doku for being the first African-American head coach for the Boston Celtics. What? Oh, oh man. You remember that time Ike Turner stood up when he heard something he didn't like, he stood up and looked at, at, at Tina Turner with uh, a look of disdain, like I'm going to hurt you you know, later on, look like he had that type of stare. Look, Doc Rivers, Bill Russell. <laughs> I mean, we were going out of line about how many African-American coaches have been, have coached the Celtics in, in its history, right? He said that Emil Duke was the first. <laughs> I was going to laugh. Like, it's, it's funny. I have to laugh because you, you do this for a living, dude. Now, mind you, I have a full-time job. I do this, but I'm not on a major network. I have, I'm on my own network. I'm on YouTube and Spotify environment, you know, Apple Podcasts, things of that nature. I'm in my own lane, and I knew better. So you as a former professional athlete and a full-time sports analyst didn't know this yourself, and you decided to spew this on TV? Wow, dude. Wow. So clearly, whatever Kool-Aid, <laughs> I'm not going to say Kool-Aid, whatever tea that RG3 and Jay Williams were drinking this particular week had them completely and utterly outside of their mind. <laughs> and for that, my friends, you get the Big Dummy of the Week award. You Big Dummy. So in the last bit, we're going to give some Black Excellence Awards real quick before we get out of here. The aforementioned Emil Duku, Jason Kidd, Chauncey Billups, big shout outs for becoming, yet again, leaders of men in, in NBA basketball and they in your head coaching positions. Shouts out to you for MA being the Celtics' new head coach, Jason Kidd being the Mavs' new head coach, and Chauncey Billups being the Blazers' new head coach. So, to them three young gentlemen, African-American, black men of power, we give y'all shots off of Black Excellence of the Week and being head coaches of the NBA going forward. <laughs> so 
that's gonna wrap it up, man. Another episode in the books, man. We're getting close to that year mark. We got uh, about four episodes getting up to that mark. So we're gonna hit it, man. It's gonna come quick and fast in a hurry. So fuck your seats. Let's log in. Let's get loaded, man. Let's let everybody know we out here, man. Uh in the meantime, in between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down. <laughs>